Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Dave Cunningham. On the podcast, I've had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with many of our local singers and songwriters, but we've only touched the surface. Our guest in this episode is Tegan McLaren, who was referred to me by Rob Watkins, who was very impressed with this young lady's talent. So, Tegan and I sat down, and I began at the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning, Tegan, and talk about how you got this interest in music to start with. Yeah, so music has always been something that's been in our family. So I have three siblings. Uh, They all play guitar. They're all older than me as well. So I grew up, you know, watching them sing, watching them play music. Also, my parents, obviously, were a huge influence. Uh, They played in local bands around town in the Kingston area. And just watching them playing their own songs and things, it was just it was inspirational to me as a child without knowing it was inspirational. So I just started writing songs myself. And, you know, when I was eight, I didn't know how to play an instrument, but I had this maraca set. So I would like shake the big one and the little one. And I'd write it down that I was shaking the big one. And I just sing random words about tree forts. (laughs) Now, way back in the beginning, what came first, the performing or the songwriting? the songwriting for sure. I, uh, I actually had really bad stage fright as a kid and throughout high school. So I started writing songs about when I was eight silly songs, like I said, (laughs) about tree forts and random (laughs) outside things. Um, and then when I was 12, I learned guitar. So I started putting, you know, more, more music to the songs, But I didn't actually start performing live till I was about 21, 22. Do you remember your first gig, paying gig? Yes, I do. I was was in Gananoque at the Old English Pub. Yeah, Darren there gave me my first opportunity to play live. So I was very thankful for that. Now, we talked about performing, and uh, I want to focus on that for a few seconds. And you talked about the business of um, being concerned about getting up on stage and performing. And I am wondering if you have ever heard of a Facebook page called the Isolation 2020 Country Jamboree. I have. I think I've actually posted a video or two on there. It's a really cool Facebook group. Now, it is primarily from what I can gather in seeing several different uh, segments is that it's country oriented, country music oriented, which is how your music has been labeled at this particular point. And I'm wondering if I know that a lot of the folks that do perform that I have seen are folks who are much older than you, probably more in my age range than yours, but they do go back to that old country music, a lot of the old tunes that a lot of us have long forgotten. I don't know if that is sort of an inspiration. Where do you get your inspiration in terms of the kinds of country performers that you grew up with? Give me some names of some of the people. Yeah, so before I do that, I actually grew up listening to classic rock from my parents versus uh, country. Okay. So, but but I remember having it was um it was like a four volume book that my parents gave me of Johnny Cash, okay. and it had 
all of his biggest hits and I just fell in love with him like his voice his songs everything about everybody loves Johnny Cash right yeah. <laughs> like yep. I don't need to explain it um, so that really was my inspiration and also um, he's not really country but I had a lot of inspiration from Gordon Lightfoot as well mm-hmm. so you decide that you're going to focus on country now are you comfortable with that label to be honest <laughs> not really um, only because genres have always been a thing that I don't like being put into like not into a box I don't want to be labeled I had a really hard time with it for a lot of my music career because um, I don't write just country like I do write pop I do write rock I do write folk sometimes I combine the genres and that's even more fun so yeah having that label of country has always been hard for me and actually I remember when I was first starting to play live, like around when I was 22 to the 24 range, and somebody said, well, you have to label yourself a genre. You can't keep going in and out of these genres. So they suggested to me that I follow country music because you have loyal fans. I sound country. Um, Some of my songs, you know, lend themselves to country. So I was like, okay, well, I'll try that. So I started listening to to more of the country that I wouldn't necessarily listen to. Like I love Shania Twain and, and now the chicks, I guess they're renamed now. Um, I've always loved that country, but you know, more of the Garth Brooks country and stuff like that. I hadn't really cared for before that point. I have yet to meet a musician who writes their own songs, who likes being pigeonholed into a particular genre. Because when I write a song, or I'm just paraphrasing what they would say to me, when I write a song, I am writing it because this is what I feel, and I'm putting it out there as my music. And so you either consume it or you don't consume it. And so that's, I gather, what you are saying is that, you know, you have your own particular style, your own way of writing, and sometimes you write this and sometimes you write that, but it's basically Tegan McLaren's music, uh, take it or leave it sort of deal, correct? Yes, exactly. And uh, more to that is I did try to start writing country songs that were on the radio, like, you know, the ones about going to the bar, sitting on a tailgate, those type of popular country songs. And I was finding that I would not be able to write those songs. I hated them. I didn't like it wasn't me. Right. Right. So that's why I don't like being tied into a genre necessarily, because like you said, I like to write what I feel in that moment, not what somebody wants me to feel. (laughs) So a lot of your songs are personal and you sit down and you write about personal experiences, good and bad. So how easy or difficult is that for you in terms of the writing part of it? Do the songs come easy or do they take a while to gestate? Yeah, the sad songs come very easy. (laughs) (laughs) I can write those in like 10 minutes to 30 minutes, no problem. Um, (laughs) It's the happy songs, honestly, that I struggle with a little more. And it's not to say that I'm not happy, (laughs) because I am. I have a lot of things to be happy about. It's just for some reason, there's something about sad songs that just come way easier than happy songs. And sad songs are more identified as country music songs than, yeah, than uh, happy too. songs, for the most part, anyway. Do you remember the first time you performed one of your own songs for an audience? What was that like? Because these things are personal, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I was at uh, the Rose and Crown open mic that's hosted by Tom Savage. 
and uh, Kevin Davidson, my fiddle player friend from Gananoque area. And I brought a friend with me. We had been playing in my basement apartment, <laughs> just the two of us for a year or so, just jamming. And we got, we got the guts to finally go and do this open mic. So I performed a song that's on my 2015 EP called Will You Dance With Me? And it's a very personal song. And uh, I didn't actually talk about the meaning behind the song till maybe two years ago. So that's how, <laughs> how personal it was. <laughs> so you were comfortable actually performing it for the first time? I wouldn't say I was comfortable. I was probably shaking and sweating, <laughs> but but I forced myself to do it. So I'm glad that I did because it did help me get over my stage fright for sure. And we are going to talk a little bit about this album, but you recorded an EP before you recorded this album. So when was the EP recorded? It was recorded and released in 2015. And was it done here or in Nashville or... So it was done actually in Westport at Summit okay. Sound. Uh, don't know, if, and probably everybody's heard Dave Daw. He's a well-known guy around here. And uh, yeah, it was a really cool experience. That was my first experience in a studio. And he has a great setup there if anybody ever needs to get some recording done. Now you have done a series of competitions I've read and you've done well in a lot of them. And I'm trying to figure out what the sequence would be with respect to leading up to the full-blown album that you recorded in Nashville in 2019. So you were in a competition. Let's deal with that one first. You were in a competition called the Billy Idol competition, and it's nothing to do with the singer whose name is Billy Idol, <laughs> but it's a country artist whose name, where did I write his name down here? Billy, help me out here. Billy Currington. Okay, so he so he's the Billy in this particular. It's like a talent show, correct? And you were one of the four finalists. Yeah, pretty yep. close to. Yeah, we had to. The at the time, I believe it was Kicks ninety three point five. Now it's called Country ninety three point five, the radio station here. Right. And they had put out a competition um, where you had to submit a video of you singing "Party for Two by Shania Twain and Billy Currington. And if you were chosen, you got to go to the K-Rock Center, meet Billy Currington and audition for him. So the first the, or the person who won the competition would get to sing live with him at the sh show later on that night. Oh, really? How was that? Or did you get a chance to? Or no? <laughs> I didn't, unfortunately, okay. win because I was so awkward back then. I would have my <laughs> arms. Oh, my gosh. Well, it was my first time, right? That was around the same time I had played my live show. Actually, my live shows came after that. So that's okay. how new I was. And I didn't have a guitar in my hand. So I sang with like my arms to my side and I'm like, party for two. Like it was just, <laughs> oh, it was so embarrassing when I look back on the video, honestly. <laughs> you haven't destroyed all the copies of the video? <laughs> no, because I don't own all of them, unfortunately. <laughs> So you you won a couple of other competitions. I'm intrigued by the one that's labeled Hockey Night in Canada Song Contest. Now, what was that one about? Yeah, so holy, this is really reaching back in the memory bank for me. Um, but yeah, I didn't win that one, but I was in the top 100 nationwide. And I remember Hockey Night in Canada had put out a competition to, to have the next hockey night in Canada song or, or whatever it was at the time. 
And so a bunch of artists, even people local, other songwriters I know were, were submitting songs. And um, I had submitted one that was actually off my 2015 EP called The Fire, but I had reworded it and uh, made it applicable to hockey. And somehow I landed in the top 100 people, enough people voted for my song. So it was pretty exciting. So this would be like a replacement for the Stomp and Tom Connor song? Or I think, I think that's alternative. what they were going for at first. Yeah. But I mean, you can't replace Stomp and Tom. No, so. for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> now, you went down to Nashville to record this album. Tell us about that experience, because that would be, I would gather, a big change from going up to Westport Summit Sound. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um it took me three trips to Nashville to actually complete this album because I was working full time at a different job at, the, you know, the first time I went down, the second time I went down. Um, so it was, it was quite an experience. It was really cool. My producer, John D Willis is such a talented man and he's got this thick accent from Illinois and he says cussing all the time. And oh, he's just, just he's such a blast to, to just work with. And my first experience with him was I walked into his studio and he's like, okay, here's a guitar, you know, play a song that you want on the album. So I played a song just one time through, I played my guitar and he's ready notes the whole time. And then he's like, okay, thanks. And then he turns around and he just starts laying the drum tracks. He lays the whole structure of the song. He does everything. And I just played it one time. And it's just crazy how talented they are down there. I know. I've been down to Nashville and I watched some of the musicians on the Grand Old Opry who back up everybody and anybody who shows up to the show. And it doesn't take them very long to learn to play the particular individual's tune. They are incredibly talented people. Yeah, actually, I went to the Grand Old Opry too. And that would have been in 2019 that I saw a show there. And I was lucky enough to see John Prine. So one of the last, obviously. Last shows that he did, yeah. Yeah, that was great. So uh, I've listened to the album. It's a great album. And um, the I guess we should tell folks that it's available on Spotify. I know that's where I listen to it. And where else is it available? Can you yeah, actually so buy copies of the CD or is it all streamed? Yeah, so you can buy copies of the CD on my website, uh, com. Um, you can also buy them from CD Baby, available to stream on all platforms, you know, Spotify, Apple, Google, everything. Essentially, anywhere that streams, you can get this. So. Now, I'm curious to know, does an artist get any feedback from the streaming services as to who's listening or where the people are listening from or how many people are downloading your tune or streaming your tune? Yeah. So that's that's kind of the cool part. So. I went through CD Baby. Um, so they kind of, they deal with contacting the streaming companies and getting your music out there. So you pay them a fee to get on there and then they distribute your music. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, you you collect all that information. Like I had people in, in Norway, in Japan listening, and it shows you how many times people in those countries have listened to your songs and which songs. And it's really cool how the music industry cool in a way that you can, you can get this information in today's music industry. Not cool that you don't get money from it. Really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, who was it I was talking to? It may have been Rob and he was saying something along the lines of uh, for every download on a streaming service, you get 
decimal zero 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 six of a cent. Yeah, is it's what you very get. small. Enough for you to buy a new car or a new guitar or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a plastic one from the dollar store. <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk. Get back to performing a little bit. I'm I'm curious. I've seen some videos of you performing in a couple of different places around town. And when I've seen you perform, it's just you and your guitar. And now you do that. You also perform with your sister, Darcy, is what I so, read somewhere. And you perform yeah. with your, you have a band as well. Yeah. So uh, my sister, my sister got really busy with her work. So we actually stopped performing the two of us together, unfortunately, because I, I loved performing with her. So I would have loved to have kept that up. Um, but yeah, so mostly I just do solo shows and especially right now with COVID, that's all I really do. And then, yes, I play with an awesome band. I love love them. I've had my drummer since day one of me starting the band, uh, Ron Reedy. He's amazing. And John Gamash on guitar and Matt Aylesworth on bass. They're just such amazing people, and I love working with them. So hopefully COVID will die down so we can get back together and play some shows out there. Oh, yeah. I think that's what audiences and their performers need is a return back to the days when you can sit in a restaurant, bar, auditorium and listen to an artist get up on stage and perform. I know that artists don't. I've talked to a couple of different people and they're not really keen on this business of performing to a camera so mm -hmm. that the performance can be streamed because you don't get any feedback from your audience because they're on the other side of a computer screen. Yeah. I know Rob Watkins, I was talking to him about that, and he definitely is against that, I know, <laughs> for sure. It is difficult because you don't have the claps at the end of your song, right? You don't have that interaction or that energy that you get to feed off of on a live show. So it is definitely a struggle, and I don't prefer it, that's for sure. Um, but, I mean, we have to adapt in, in today's yep. climate, and hopefully we can get back to some kind of normal. Not much you can do about it. Everybody wants to stay healthy and make sure everyone around them stays healthy as well. What's in the future for you going down the road, looking down the road for them after COVID? Let's assume we get COVID under control by the end of the year. What have you got in store? What are you thinking about doing? I would love to go back to Nashville and record another album. I uh, don't know what that looks like. But yes, if, if the borders open up, COVID magically disappears then I would love to go back and record a new album. Until then, I'm trying to produce my own music at home, mm -hmm. and I will release an album that I'm currently in the middle of, of creating. So I'm excited about that. So you've got the songs all ready to record, yes. if you haven't already recorded some. <laughs> yes. So it's not like you have a songwriter's block during the middle of COVID. No, I actually, I was worried about that though. I was like, how am I going to get any inspiration? Cause I can't go outside. I can't do anything. Things that I'd normally have inspiration from. I, I can't do those things. I can't talk to people, you know, right. yeah. a, a lot of my songs come from personal experiences, but a lot also come from stories that other people tell me or, or interactions. Right. So, it, so I thought it would be like that. But surprisingly, I've actually pumped out probably more songs than ever. So it's good. I've talked to a few people, a few musicians whom I've interviewed, and they've said that uh, they've taken this time to clean up a lot of backlog of songs that they've wanted to put mm -hmm. down on, uh, I was going to say on tape, but that shows you how old I am. <laughs> 
on on the computer uh, and packaged albums and and got them ready to go. So that's one of the good things that you've got the time to do that that you wouldn't have had before. So that's good. I want to thank you very much for your time today, Tegan, and uh, all the best to you going forward. And hopefully you can get back down to Nashville to lay down some more tracks for us to listen to. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Theme music for the program is Stasis Oasis, a tune written and performed by Kingston musician Tim Aylesworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of our episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian Podcast Facebook page. This is Dave Cunningham from Kingston, Ontario. Thank you for listening. Until next time.